Thank you so much for watching online, and if you missed our Legacy Weekend, it's not too late to participate, and we just want to share with you a few ways that you can do that. You can go to our webpage, RadiusChurch.tv, or you can also uh, go to our app. You can also mail it, and the address is coming up on your screen right now, or you can text it, and that number is coming up on your screen also. And if you weren't able to be here with us for the live prayer meeting and the Legacy uh, Saturday night, uh, once you give, that'll trigger us. And we have a token that we would like to mail to you that really ties in to the weekend's message, Legacy 2020. God bless you, and thanks. Well, it's an understatement to say... <laughs> In fact, you're going to laugh at me when I say this, but it's kind of an understatement to say that the year 2020 has not been what any of us expected it would be, right? I remember years and years ago thinking, oh, when the year 2020 comes, I'm really going to preach about vision, and we're going to do some great things, and I can't wait till we get to the year 2020. I mean, who couldn't preach on 2020 vision in the year 2020? Well, there was a surprise waiting for all of us in 2020. And the thing about 2020, um, uh, I, I started thinking about, it's, it, of, of all the things that maybe we haven't done correctly, one of the things to me is year 2020 has symbolized the year that we're against something. It's the year of division. It's the year of, if you would, arguments. But it's not just that, because we've been divided before, and we've had differing in opinions before. But now, because of social media, this has been the year that more has been written about what we don't like and why other people are wrong than ever in the history of our world. I mean, you don't even have to go find a pen. You don't have to go find a piece of paper. It's right in our hands. Oh, yeah? Let me tell you what I think. I mean, no, there needs to be a buffer like looking for a pen sometimes, right? But it's been the year that we have written our opinions. It's been the year that we've written our frustrations. And, and there have been times, and, and an old pastor taught me this, go ahead and write the email, but don't send it. And just simmer on it a little while. I don't know about you, but that has saved my bacon more than once or twice. I've thought about what I wanted to write in response to some knuckleheads online. I've thought about some things, and by the grace of God, I didn't write some of those things. Because what if the things that we have written about, what if the opinions and the frustrations and the conspiracies and the, all the stuff that we have written about, what if that became the book of our life? What if that became our journal? What if that became what I'm going to call tonight our legacy letters? What made me think of this was a few weeks ago when I was kind of working on this. I had a, any of you Facebook out there? I had a Facebook memory that popped up, and it was from 12 years ago. And it was a quote that I made, and it was a picture of me preaching somewhere. And I thought, wow, that was 12, and it kind of took me back down that memory lane. In fact, I, I, I had some clothes on just 12 years ago. I'm thinking, what in the world was I wearing? And that was only 12 years ago. And, 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 and I started thinking about, what if my life consisted, what if my story was written by all the memories, what if when I'm dead and gone, what if my life book became all the statements I made on social media? Would it be a good book or would it be a bad book? 
Would it be a horror novel? (laughs) Would it make people laugh? Would it make people cry? Would it incite anger? Would it incite peace? Would it give joy? Would it give encouragement? What kind of book is my life writing right now? What if everything that I wrote on social media, what if every opinion I barked out there became my legacy journal? During this season and during this pandemic, my daughter came up with an incredible idea. I asked permission to share. But uh, she asked her grandpa, Belky, who's 87 years old, Patty's father, she asked him if, if she could interview him during this shutdown and during the pandemic. And, and she wanted to interview him. She called it an exit interview. And, and it wasn't meant to be uh, disrespectful. It was just that when you're 87 years old, you probably have more to say than ever in your life, but less people are asking your opinion. Ugh. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. And she said, Grandpa, could I just interview you? Because I I, want to do this exit interview. You're 87, and I hope that you'll still be around when you're 97. But I want to record, and and I want to put it in a journal, and I want to format it. And I want to ask you important questions that grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids, because, see, Grandpa, you overcame a lot to break some generational curses and, and, and The generations that follow you would love to know how we got to be blessed like we are. Oh, my. I want to know, Grandpa, how'd you make your career choice? How'd you fall in love with Grandma? Well, what was the most challenging time? What was a bad memory? What was it like growing up during the Great uh, Depression? Grandpa, what were some of the best places you've been to? What are some of your favorite meals? Uh, Who's your favorite son-in-law? Oh, no, she didn't ask that. Uh, And she just started asking all these questions, and it made me think, you know, I'm a grandpa now, and I wonder one day if my grandkids, and even grandkids, great-great-grandkids that I may never meet, I wonder if they'll look back and people will tell the story of my life. Will it be a good story? Will I have good legacy letters to leave? Right, everybody? Proverbs chapter number three, there was a whole lot of verses I wanted to go to on this. I wanted to go to Hosea where it talks about writing the vision down. But this one has grabbed my heart. So I want to go to Proverbs chapter number three. It's a rather lengthy portion of scripture here. There's 10 verses uh, and I'm going to kind of blast through some of them. And, And I always say, I say this often when I'm reading in the book of Proverbs. One great devotion to have is every day of the month that it is. Break your Bible open and read the according uh, Proverbs. If it's the third, read the third chapter. If it's the 15th, and so on. But watch this. My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. So when I talk about writing a legacy journal, I'm not talking about the things we write with ink and paper. I'm not talking about the things we type out or even thumb out. You know, I'm, I'm more talking about what's on the tablet of our heart. Uh, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Who did you hear that? Peace and prosperity. If you keep his command, if you learn God's teaching in the middle of a pandemic, you can have peace. 
In, in the middle of an economic downturn, you can have prosperity. Come on, somebody. Peace and prosperity, they will prolong your life for many years. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Watch this. Here it is. Here's a legacy letter right here. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So, so I'm not talking about necessarily what you're physically writing, but what is your heart writing? What's, what is your soul writing? What movie is your life playing to a generation that you may never meet? Um, and then it goes on and says, then you will win favor. I want favor. Favor and a good name in the sight of God and of man. I want favor with both, Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Boy, that'll preach right now. In all your ways, submit to Him. I'm trying not to preach these things. And He will make your path straight. In other words, have you ever lived in life when you didn't know if you should zig or you should zag? Mm -hmm. If you'll do these things, He'll make it very obvious what the direction is. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Woo, that's another one I'm trying to stay away from. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Keep on going because I'm going to get hung up. This will bring health to your body. Everybody see that? That's what will bring health to your body. Mm. And nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflow. I like that. Everybody wants overflowing barns. Everybody wants to live in verse number 10, but we're not too sure if we want to live in verse number 9. Verse number 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Not just any old wealth, not leftover wealth, first fruits. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Wow, there's so much there. But I want to ask you again, what kind of story is your life writing? What are you doing right now? What story, what, what did the page today, the, the page labeled today, what did it read? Well, when people talk about you, whether it's right now or how you want them to talk about you in the future, will they say things like, he was a generous person, she was a kind heart, or will they say, that's a grumpy old cranky always mad, pounding me with Bible scriptures, right? See, today you're writing your legacy letters. Right now we are writing history books. Right now the way we're living, the way we're doing life as a church, the way you're doing life as an individual, the way we're leading through this pandemic as a body of Christ is how we're going to be remembered in future generations. What are you going to write on your heart? That will be passed down. Let me, let me say it one other way or read it to you one other way in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 3, this is in the message. Every once in a while, I just like to go to the message. And, and, and I, know, I, I know that God only speaks through the King James. I understand that. But sometimes I just like the message translation. It just gets down to my kind of language. Check this out. Your very lives are a letter. Your life is a letter. Whether you ever pick up a pen, whether you ever social media, whether you ever tweet, whether you ever whatever the newest thing is, your life is a letter. Whew. That anyone can read just by looking at you. 
Come on, have you ever, now don't point when I say this, just act like you think you know what I'm talking about, all right? Sometimes it's good to have masks on because we can't see your expression. But, but, but have you ever met anybody? You can tell what kind of mood they are just when they walk in the room. Oh, there's Mr. Grumpy. <laughs> oh, there's Mr. Grumpy Pants. You know, you know what I'm saying? But there's other people when they come in the room, it's like the room lights up. Because the joy of God is on them. So, so your life is writing just by looking at you. Watch this. Christ himself wrote on it. Not with ink, but with God's living spirit. Not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. Watch this. And we publish it. You're publishing your legacy letters. You're publishing your life. The story of your life is being published. Wow. When I read that out of the message, it kind of blew my mind. Now, I want you to just go with me on this journey. There's no real systematic why I'm doing this, but I, I, and I know that the Bible characters, we have them in the Bible, so obviously they were written about or some of them wrote. But I want you to imagine with me if we were, I don't know, if we, if we just came across some of the Bible heroes' journals. I would like to know, I know they're in the Bible, but just for a minute, if, if we found their personal stash, I wonder what some of their journals would say if we can find them. And, and, and we could spend the night doing that, but I think of people like Joseph that I get inspired from. And somewhere in Joseph's journal, he probably wrote, had a bad day. My brothers lied about me. In fact, they sold me into slavery. Wasn't the best of days. Went home and lied to my dad. Everybody thought I was dead. What, what was your entry the time someone lied about you? What was, your, what was your journal entry the day somebody gossiped about you? Come on now. I would love to read. He said, I was mistreated. I was gossiped about. They put things on Facebook about. Oh, yeah. No, he didn't do that. But, but you talk about betrayal. Joseph said, you know what, though? What the devil meant for bad. God's still on the throne, and he can turn it around and make it good. Come on now. I, I think there would be at least another page in there that said something about dreaming. Because remember, all his trouble started when he dreamed. When he had a dream. When he had a vision from God. And he started sharing that vision. How many know not everybody will always agree with your vision? And I want to challenge you during this season to get a hold of God. This might be a challenging time. But Joseph's journal would say, dream again. When the enemy comes in and tries to steal. When circumstances come in and try to steal. When pandemics and elections and social injustice and all the other garbage we can throw on that try to steal your dreams joseph's entry would say stand up and dream again because what the devil meant for bad god can turn it around and make it good what about moses oh i'd love to read moses's journal right well i was the least qualified i tried to do something at church and ended up killing a guy Ooh, that wasn't good i ran out to the desert and thought i'd hide from god Nobody can relate to that. And one day I came across this burning bush. What? I mean, come on, his, his journal, and, and God redeemed me, and God called me. And I remember the day, could you just imagine Moses writing? I remember the day God spoke to me. It was powerful. It was a bush. It was burning. It was on fire. It blew my mind. Wow. 
God said, I want you to step into Pharaoh's court. I mean, you got to be a bad somebody to walk all up into Pharaoh's business and say, hey, God told me to tell you to let my people go, right? And I told God, there is no way. Because he didn't think any of us would ever read that stuff. Lord, I can't do that. I have a stutter. And God said, what's that in your hand? It's my stick. And God said, you got a stick and a stutter. And I can use both of them because your stick represents your strength, and it's not that much. And your stutter represents your weakness. But God decided he would use my strength and my weakness. And my weakness would not overcome my strength. And God could use me to do something supernatural. Come on, everybody. I I would like to... One of my favorite guys is Caleb, and, and I like him more every birthday I have. Because Caleb was one of the original 12 that Moses sent into the promised land to spy out the land, and 10 of them came back with a negative report. And I don't know, if you, wrote, if you read in his journal, if it were me, I'd be pressing down real hard. Those 10 knuckleheads, how could they stop a move of God? I think he would write things like, man, I can't believe that they spread a negative narrative. I think his journal would probably read about negativity always getting the most attention. And I can't believe that they had a negative narrative. And negative narrative always embellishes the story. Negative. Has anybody else recognized this? That being negative creates drama, and drama likes a stage. Huh? I mean, come on. Negative news is what sells. Hello, 2020. Right, everyone? But man, Caleb probably said, let's not speak about those things. Let's be life-giving. Let's speak about how big God is. Let's talk about what God can. Let's write and speak things that give life. Let's write and speak things that fuel hope and inspire dreams. I love when we get to the end of Caleb's life. He says, man, it's been 40 years. I'm 85 years old now, but I'm still strong. Now give me my mountain. Uh, Because Caleb probably would have wrote somewhere in there that a delay doesn't necessarily mean a denial. He's 85 now, but he's still dreaming. Come on, are you guys with me today? Can we do some more? How about Solomon? Solomon probably would have wrote in his journal, hey, I'm going to give something unusual to God. Because when I see God, God always does something unusual in response to people that are willing to step out and do the unusual. Wherever I see a miracle in the Bible, I always see people doing something unusual for God. I mean, he probably didn't write about Peter, but if he could have, he would have wrote, it was unusual for Peter to step out of a perfectly good boat and walk on water. It was unusual for Noah to even think about building a boat. Rain? How is that thing going to float? It was probably unusual for him to write about David running down to Goliath with some stones. That was unusual, but God did something unusual. It was unusual for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to strip himself of deity, dress in the, in, 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 in the room of Mary's womb, and come and be born in a manger. How many know that was unusual? It was unusual that he saved a sinner like you and me. It was unusual, everybody. 
And so Solomon said, you know what? I'm going to do something unusual. This is the time of the year where we're supposed to bring one sheep, one lamb to sacrifice. But I'm going to do something unusual for God. And if you read in 1 Kings chapter number 3, Solomon brought a thousand lambs as an offering unto the Lord. You talk about a legacy offering. I mean, no, Solomon started this whole thing, right? Or what about Daniel? Daniel is taken into captivity. They tried to change his name. You know what I bet he wrote? I bet he would write for all of us to read, don't let troubles change your name. Don't let troubles try to change your destiny. Don't let troubles try to change who God has called you to be. Please don't let that happen. Refuse to let the tragedies of life steal your identity. We, we know that he was thrown into the lion's den. We already know that. We know that he faced it. We, we know that, that he faced with something that should have devoured him. But, but somehow, maybe in his journal he wrote, I took my problems and made them my pillow. And I woke up the next morning and God was still on the throne. Let me do one more. How about Paul? Now, we have the letters of Paul, two-thirds of the New Testament. In fact, I'll just take a page out of his journal when he writes to his pastors. Jesus was on the scene. He told stories. Paul comes on the scene, and he tells us how to lead churches and how to have theology and, 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 and how to do life together. And so Paul writes a letter to Timothy, and he writes to Timothy, and he says these words. He says, he says command that. Now, now Timothy, you have, you're a pastor, and you're a pastor of a congregation, and I'm your pastor, so I'm telling you what to tell the people in your church. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Because if you put your hope in wealth, You will freak out and flip out when a pandemic... Oh, no, sorry, it doesn't say that part. (laughs) Command those who are rich. Now, right now when I read that, most people that are watching, some maybe even that are listening right here say, oh, well, that counts me out because I'm not rich. If you have a computer, if you have an iPhone, if you drove your own vehicle to church, if you're going home tonight and there's f- food in the refrigerator and a roof over your head, you're wealthier than 95% of the globe. I didn't think I'd get any hand claps on that. What that means is you showed up here, you thought you were broke, but the Bible just said you're rich. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> watch, watch what it says. Come on now. Which is so uncertain. Isn't it uncertain? We don't know. Everybody's right on the edge of who's elected, who's the official president, how long is this going to go, what's the economy. It's uncertain, everybody. We're all freaked out because it's uncertain. The Bible tells us it's uncertain. I'm not getting any shouts on that one. Okay, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Watch this. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. That's how I want to be rich. Rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. Generous and willing to share. That's why we do Legacy Weekends. Because part of our Christian fundamentals is learning how to step out in faith and be generous one to another. 
how to sacrifice when we have a need and still meeting another need. That's part of the Christian fundamentals, everybody. Thank you for amen in me right there because some people look like I'm lying, but it's right here. To be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share. Check this out. Go on to the, do I have any more than that? Yeah. In this way, watch this, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation, a fundamental for the coming age. That means I can make direct deposits into heaven. Thank you, Jesus. So that they may take hold of their lives that is truly life. Oh, I love this. I love this. Now let me change gears, and I'm going to give you some different points. I started, I, I just sat down and I started thinking about this. I've been in ministry now for 34 years. And when I came here to plant this church, I, I asked God, I said, God, would you please, in fact, I've had people that are well into their 80s pray this over me. I said, God, would you give me 30 more years to preach the gospel and help pastor people? And, and because of that statement, I, I, I thought, Okay, what would it take in a real tangible kind of way to live a life of legacy? Well, what should be the title pages of my legacy journal? Is everybody following what I'm talking about? And so I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to pull out seven. I wrote down 20, but I'm not going to dare try to give you 20, all right? And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. All right, seven's a stretch, but we'll take seven over 20 any day. So these are real practical. I think all of them have biblical uh, text and foundation, but I'm not going to try to take you on a theological journey tonight. I just want to take you on a practical journey. What should be the chapter headings if I want to turn over a book to the publisher of this world of my legacy? Here they are, number one. Number one, if you're going to live a life of legacy, number one, uh, do I have number one? you got to have a sense of humor. I think what we've needed more than anything else in 2020 is just a laugh. Uh, we need a sense of humor. Uh, and let me say it another way. We need the ability to laugh at ourselves. Woo, you better say amen or I'm going to come right off this stage and pick on you. Man, I'm telling if you can't laugh at yourself, you come on up here after service. I'll tell you a few things that will make you laugh or punch me in the nose, one of the two. Uh, we just got to, now I'm preaching to me right here because I take, I, I get way too serious way too quick. I can go, for, and because it seems like most of the things I deal with are so heavy and very serious, but I got to learn to laugh a little bit. Come on, friend. I have, in fact, I have an elder on our team, and when I ask him to be on our elder board, uh, Tom Jensen, I ask him to be on the elder board. You better be watching, Tom. I ask him to be on our elder board for one reason. And, and this is going to sound terrible. It's not because he was the greatest theologian in the church, although he used to be a, a credentialed pastor. It, it, it's not because he knows the Bible. It's not because he can pray better than anybody. I asked Tom Jensen to be on the elder board because Tom makes me laugh. And I need people around me that when everything in life seems heavy and serious, somebody can make me laugh. I need somebody to just know how to Say, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I need somebody to remind me that laughter is medicine to the soul. Come on, everybody. We got to just, come on. It just feels like the whole world is wound so tight right now. Can we just laugh about anything? 
Can we laugh about the fact that we're getting all worked up about things that when we're in heaven probably won't matter? Could, could we just laugh a little bit? I'll tell you a few stories so you can laugh at me. How's that sound, everybody? We used to, I told you last week, we used to have this big inner city outreach. We used to bus families into our church and and we would usually really go all out to bus families in from the, in the hood. And we, we had this area called Shacktown. We and just really poverty-stricken, really bad areas of Detroit. And, and we would do these big events, big illustrated messages, dramas, plays, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. And we bust some people in uh, one night, and we were right in the middle of the crowd scene where all the crowd, it was an Easter play, and all the crowd was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Well, we had one guy get on our bus that wasn't quite all there. And somehow, when all the mob scene entered onto the stage, he was in the mob scene. Everybody was dressed in Bible clothes, and he came stumbling across in Levi's and a t-shirt, saying, crucify him, crucify. We could have got all uptight and said, man, what's he doing in there? We just laughed and laughed. We still tell them stories today, how much we laughed about those things. There was a time I got so frustrated with cell phones. Remember when cell phones first started coming out? And I mean, it was like you could not get through a church service without cell phones going. How many have been in church long enough to remember that? I mean, just about the time somebody was going to get saved, the devil would call your cell phone. And I got so frustrated, man. I said, Lord, I just can't yell at the people. I want to yell at them. There's days. I never want to do that anymore. But there's days I just want to let them have it, Lord. And I thought, I need a creative, fun way how to tell people to keep their cell phones off. Because no matter how much I talk about it, they come back on. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I planted a guy. Our original building was kind of the old traditional church. Uh, uh, I think it was like a pie shape and had the two aisles down and had the pulpit. And I'd get up and say, take your Bibles and turn with me. That's the first thing every preacher used to say. And I remember the week before I told everybody, I guess I really have this Really something heavy on my heart that God wants to say to us. I worked it up really good. And then I planted a guy on the second row on the aisle seat with a big old cell phone. And I said, right when I open the Bible and start reading it, I want you to have somebody call you. And I want your ringer as loud as it can go. Now, don't tell nobody and just kind of follow my lead. And I got up there and said, guys, today, I just really feel like God has something for us. Take your Bibles and turn with me. And I started ring, reading, and all of a sudden, ring. You know, one of them big musical rings. And I looked up, and I purposely looked so frustrated. And the church was like, oh, I think Ken has finally flipped his lid. Look at those eyes. He's got crazy eyes. And then he started talking. He said, Hello? Right there in the middle of church, in a sacred moment. He said, hello. And then I just acted like I lost it. I said, sir, I have asked this church over and over to put your cell phones on mute. Now, would you kindly put your cell phone away? And here's what he did. I had him do this. Okay, just one second. And, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, the whole place just, the air went out. of The whole, the whole place just puckered up altogether. Oh, no, he didn't. And, and over, sitting right over here was one of my biker buddies named Jose. Jose wasn't in on it. And Jose got up. And Jose started walking toward him. I thought, God, I better do something. Jose's going to beat him up right here in church, Lord. 
And I said, that's enough. Jose, it's okay. And I said, ushers, would you please kindly remove my friend out of the service? The minute I did that, the lights in the whole auditorium went dark. Guys dressed in black. Mission Impossible music started playing. (laughs) Dozens of guys started rappelling out of the ceiling. Down right to the middle aisle. They picked him up. They beat him up right there in the middle of church. I never had another problem with cell phones as long as I pastored that church. Come on, it's okay to have a little fun in church. Well, I could tell you these stories. I, I told my family all the time, when I'm retired and out of ministry, I'm going to write a book about all the funny things that happen in church that I can't talk about while I'm in church. Man, you guys, I'm telling you, you guys. And I know I'm the topic of some of your family gatherings, but it's okay because some of you are the topics of some of our family gatherings. We laughed till we got tears coming down. You will never believe what so-and-so said to me today. Can you? I'm getting ready to go up and preach, and he had an emergency and had to tell me, and I better not say because you might figure out who I'm talking about. You got to have a little fun. Can I tell you one more? Last week I told you about Pastor Bob Illis who began to run our children's and outreach ministry. Well, a bunch of us a men in our church went down to the Bahamas to do some outreach and some building, and we were preaching every night. And uh, it was a really tough place to struggle for Jesus down on the Bahama Islands. We were down there, and we were the first church there. And that week about four or five other churches gathered with us, and we were going to do some crusades and and um, after the other churches got there and settled in, there was, there was one particular pastor, and I think you've figured this out about me. You know those extra religious people kind of get under my skin a little bit. Have you ever picked up on that at all? And one of the other pastors of the other church, oh, I can't even tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you part of it. And, and, and he came to me one day, and he said, Brother Ken, you know those pastors that always talk like that, like in King James, Brother Ken, we need to do some devotions here in the morning, and just worship the Lord and sing and seek his face, which I have no problem with at all. And uh, he said, he asked me, he said, do you have a worship leader with you at your church? I said, oh, absolutely. Pastor Bob is one of the greatest worship leaders you have ever met. And, and it might have been a little white lie, but I was just having some fun because Pastor Bob couldn't hold a tune in a wheelbarrow. Pastor Bob was the wildest most carefree guy. So we got all hundred of us in this big old circle in the cafeteria, and the pastor got them and said, right before we go into the Word of God, Pastor Bob Billis, would you lead us in worship, whatever songs are on your heart? Now, he was new on staff. He turned 20 shades of red. Anybody want to go with me on a missions trip, anybody? And so he, and I had told him on the trip, I said, now, listen, Whatever people ask of you, let's just go and be servants. So he gave it his best. He started singing some song. He didn't know the words. How many of you ever tried to sing a song you didn't know? And you're like, take my hand. And you look around the circle, and hopefully somebody else knows the words. Well, he was looking at us, and we were just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You got to be able to have a little fun as well. See, some of you are irritated about the story. Lighten up, everybody. Lighten up. Number two. If you're going to live a life of legacy, oh, I got a million of those stories. Number two is you got to make every day a masterpiece. Here's a thought, because I know you've heard this point before, but here's a thought. What if what you did today was how you will be remembered? 
I know we're all like, oh, what was my attitude? How did I act in the store? But every day needs to be a a masterpiece. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be real transparent with you. During COVID, I'm not sure every day has been a masterpiece. But what if this is the day that I'll be remembered for? Somebody might be meeting you for the first time. Somebody will have a snapshot of how you were with them today. Ooh. Have you ever had people describe you based on how they met you in a five-minute frustrated moment of your life? It's those times that God just helped me to be the, help me to make every day a masterpiece. I, uh, I remember this story. You probably heard it about the little boy in the backyard. He's got a baseball and a baseball bat. Saying, ladies and gentlemen, you know, come on, guys. Remember how we did that when we were kids? And here you go. Ladies and gentlemen, 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 the greatest hitter in the whole world, 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 is up to bat, bat, bat. And he throws the ball up and he swings and he misses. Strike one, everybody. And he does the whole thing and throws the ball up again. Strike two. He throws the ball up a third time. The greatest hitter in the whole world is up to bat. And he strikes out. And he shifts gears real quick and says, ladies and gentlemen, you've just witnessed the best pitcher in the whole world. So you got to take what pitches life throws at you, and you got to make it a masterpiece. Come on, everybody. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Number three. The third thing is you got to give what you're trying to get. This is so spiritual and biblical. This is the law of the harvest. You cannot reap what you don't sow. And you can't sow corn and get watermelon. And you can't sow hatred and discord and get joy and peace. Ah! I said I wasn't going to really preach real hard, but I want to right there. Because if anybody should understand this, it ought to be Christians. Because all through the Bible, it says give. And with the same measure you give with is the same measure it will be given back to you. And and you don't even have to be biblical to get this. Doctors will tell you, if you want energy, give some energy. Spend some energy. If you want some joy, be joyful. Here's one for you. If you want a friend... Be friendly. Be nice. That was the King James Version. If you want encouragement, encourage others. If you want money, sow money into good soil. Come on, everybody. Yeah. I like that one. If you want encouragement, be an encourager. That's why last week, if you were here, one of the services I said, I just decided a long time ago, I'm going to be the best cheerleader God ever created. I might not be the best preacher. I might not be the best, I, I might not be the best theologian, but I'm going to be the best cheerleader minus the skirt. I'm going to be the best cheerleader because I need encouragement. You might not need encouragement, but I need encouragement. I got a lot of holes in my soul. I need encouragement. I need friends. Uh, I need attaboys. Uh, my soul prospers when friends gather around me. So I'm going to get up here every week can say where you're at is not where you have to stay. Your best days are yet ahead of you because I'm going to reap what I sow, everybody. Number four, the fourth thing, if you're going to write your legacy letters, is you've got to enlarge your circle of love. Can the church just stop drawing dividing lines? Could we just stop excluding groups of people 
Listen to me on video. Listen to me online. Can we stop using our favorite scripture to unlike a certain group of people? I didn't get any amens in the house. Could you put a set of praying hands on the chat? Because I need prayer right now. I started thinking, well, can, we, we, we just got to stop drawing, dividing. The whole world doesn't want to be a part of this thing called the family of God because all they see is the dividing lines that we've drawn. We, we've eliminated half the alphabet that we don't like. Ah, let me know where I might be tiptoeing towards. We don't like the L's. And we don't like the G's. Hello, somebody. And we don't like the B's or the T's or the Q's. And while I'm on it, let's eliminate the D's also. Or maybe, depending where you stand on what I'm, let's eliminate the R's. Come on, somebody. And let's eliminate the A's, you know, the atheists. And, and let's eliminate the BLM's. Hello, somebody. And before we know it, we don't have any alphabets left to include into this thing called the family of God. And the moment I start preaching stuff like that, people get uptight because what they think I'm saying is that acceptance means agreement. But love is really deeper when I can disagree with you but still keep you in my circle. Oh, come on. Would somebody help me with that? Hmm. We don't have anybody left to influence because we've drawn lines. Okay, I'm going to go to the next one. Number five, find a need and fill it and find a hurt and heal it. Listen, I, I know I'm the pastor. That means I'm the primary communicator. I understand my role. But please don't look to me to find out what you ought to be doing. God put a desire in you. God put a gift in you. God put greatness in you. Come on, everybody. It doesn't take much to look around and find a need and fill it. it there, there's just something. I don't know why it works this way, but help me if you've done this. There's something about it builds me up when I build somebody else up. It's just the way it works. I feel better. You know what? During COVID, there were times I got down and discouraged because I wasn't around enough people pouring into people enough. Find a need and fill it. You see, when we look for broken people, it gets the attention of God. I remember I was a young pastor. I was probably only about 30 years old. This lady that was old enough to be my mom came in my office, and, and she said, Pastor, I'm just about ready to have a nervous breakdown. And she said, I came here to, I, I need you to tell me what I need to do. And I didn't know. <laughs> I, I, I was 30. All I was going to do was preach some sermons and get out of town. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't have a bunch of experience. I didn't have a counseling degree. As a matter of fact, please don't come see me for counseling. I'm horrible. I'll just say, hey, just watch my sermon from Sunday and everything will be all right. I'm, I'm terrible. I wouldn't come to me for counseling. Ask Patty. I'm telling you. And she said, what should I do? I'm about ready to, I'm just out of my mind. I'm about, I said, you know what I think you ought to do? I think you ought to bake some pies. Have you ever met them church people to get all pruny face looking when you say, that isn't nothing that could help me. 
What do you mean baked pies? I said, well, every Monday night, we were still a small church. I said, every Monday night, we have a group of people that bake pies on Sunday afternoon and Monday. And, and on Monday night, we go around to all the visitors that we had in the church on that Sunday. And we bring them up. Remember that? And we bring them pies. I said, why don't you join that and bake pies? Well, I never heard of nothing. I could tell she didn't really like me. I could tell she was pulling the, I've been saved longer than you've been born card on me. You know what I mean? And I thought, well, wow, that's all I know to tell you to do. Because somehow you get better when you help others. I said, when you're done delivering it to first-time visitors, why don't you during the week bake some cookies too and bring them to the nursing homes uh, and bring them to the shut-ins and find the down-and-outers and drive through town and find the street beggars and give them some cookies and I guarantee you'll feel better. She got up and said, I don't think that's going to help me one little bit. I kept seeing her at church and and I would would kind of mimic to her like, do the oven and do the cookies. How's it going? And she would just kind of ignore me until one day I ran flat into her in church. And I said, how's that nervous breakdown going? I didn't know what else to say. I'm 30. I didn't go to Bible college. Tommy Barnett taught me, find a need and fill it. That's all I knew. She said, I canceled it. I said, you canceled what? The cookie baking or the nervous breakdown? She said, the nervous breakdown. Because she found the secret. When you need something filled up in you, you got to give it away. That's the way the kingdom of God works. In my last church, the church that I've talked to you a lot about, we built it on big events and big names and big guests and all these kind of big things. And when I first came to this valley in 2007, I felt God just speak to my heart about doing church different. And I didn't totally do it all right then, but I think this go around here at Radius. I felt God say, I don't need to build my church on all that. I need to build the church on relationship. I need you to gather some people that will look beyond themselves and not be selfish with my bride, my church. So the church doesn't have to be all about them. Oh. I just felt like he said, give people hope. Become a hope dealer, not a dope dealer, a hope dealer, all right? (laughs) See, because if you live your whole life with your palms up, you're going to get things on your birthday and Christmas. But if you'll learn to live with your palms down, you'll receive every single day of the year. Come on now. I got two more to go. You guys doing good? Once again, my clock is saying zero. Number six, never catch up with your dream. I'll make this one fast. Never, ne- remember Joseph? Dream again. L- let me say it my way. Uh, if your dreams are not expendable, if your dreams are not expandable, your dreams are expendable. Because here's what happens many times. We'll dream something and we'll get close to that dream. Then we'll spend the rest of our life just coasting across the finish line. What if it was line upon line? What if reaching one dream was supposed to be the momentum for you to dream again? Come on, everybody, right? When we started this church, um, our goal for the first three years particularly was to create a a life-giving atmosphere where there wouldn't be red tape and religiosity. We we don't do membership. We don't do offerings. We do a lot of things that were really uh, controversial But I wanted to create a life-giving atmosphere. And and I felt like right before COVID hit, it was time to shift gears in what's next. Because we dream that dream. 
we started seeing God do some great things. But instead of me figuring out what's next, you're, you're part of the answer. What's next? After we've established culture, what's next? Let me ask it a different way. What can we be dreaming? Who can we be helping? What should we be doing? And if you're sitting around waiting for COVID to be done, if you're sitting around waiting for turmoil to slow up, you will be waiting all of your life. Get in right now. In the times of trouble. Come on, Joseph. This is the time to dream. Right, everybody? Okay, I'm going to give you one last one. If you don't amen on this one, I'm going to give up. Number seven is have a vision for the finish line. I told you a little while ago I've been in ministry for 34 years. And I did 30, 28, 29 years with no vision of the finish line. I I was just, I remember reading an article when I was about 23 years old. It said one out of 10, one out of every 10 pastors that start in the ministry when they're in their 20s will still be preaching and in the ministry when they're in their 60s. The fallout rate in ministry is astronomical. And this year, 2020, it's been sad. I just read another horrible news report about a very dear friend of mine this week that made national news. Just had a blowout, no longer in ministry. And uh, many, many will start strong, but do you have a vision of the finish line? Um, I asked God for 30 more years when I started this church, and come on, I, I believe if Tommy Barnett can be preaching in his 80s, I said, Lord, you're no respecter of persons. I want to keep on preaching while I'm in my 80s. And I said, but Lord, the difference now is I'm not dreaming to do something for me. My dream now for these next 30 years is to help others reach their dreams. Now, many of you have heard me tell this story, and forgive me for telling it again, but it's the only story I got. Many of you have heard me talk about in 2011, I almost quit ministry. I was very brokenhearted. It's really the only time in my life that I can remember that I was really what I look back on, I realized I was really depressed. I was discouraged. My heart was hurt. I felt betrayed. And the list goes on. And some of you have had that feeling. Me and my family, we moved back to Michigan. And we hadn't been there very long. And over the time that we were here in the valley, there was a pastor that took the church of ours that was there. And the church that I've talked about many times. 13 buildings, 136 ministries, 250,000 square foot of ministry happening 24 hours a day. The pastor that took over for me had a horrible public affair. The economy dropped out and that building closed. And a remnant of them went off and bought a little building and kept on going in a city next door. Not long with my broken heart and my I'm not doing ministry anymore, we drove back to Michigan and I drove over to that building. All by myself, I pulled in the parking lot one night at about 11 o'clock and the place was pitch black. We spent over a million dollars just putting a parking lot in now that had weeds growing in it. The building was boarded up. It was shut down and there wasn't even security lights on it. And it only added to my hurt. And it only added to, God, there's, I don't want to do this anymore. See, I didn't have a vision 
of the finish line. I had a vision for today. But I was only living, I didn't have a vision of how am I going to be the one out of the ten that finished strong. Hold on, this doesn't just relate to me. How are you going to finish raising those kids? How are you going to have a godly marriage? How are you going to manage finances that honor God? Do you have a vision of the finish line? Do you have a vision of just trying to get through the day? Or do you have a vision of those kids loving God? Do you have a vision for your marriage? Do you have a vision for, come on, do you have a vision of the, what does the finish line look like? I've been back in Michigan a couple years and wrestling with what I'm going to do and preaching and doing some things, and I got a phone call one day from a guy by the name of Maurice. Maurice was a pastor, and Maurice was one of the pastors I had hired the last year I was at that church that closed down. He came to me from New York and had family there, and, and he had taken about 100 people, and they went and rented another building and a little remnant of people, and they carried on the ministry under a different name. And he called me, and he asked me, he said, Ken, would you come over... <clears throat> And would you preach for us? I told him no. And then a buddy of mine said, man, you ought to just go over there. And see, I had shame lingering on me too much. My heart was hurt from some things here. And, and then I was shameful because I heard all the rumors of people saying, if you would have never left, then this would have never happened and the building would have never. And I wore all that. And I carried all that. I didn't have the affair. That guy did. But I carried the responsibility of it all. And I remember telling Maurice, no, nah, I don't think that'd be a good idea because I was still riddled with shame. See, I didn't have a vision of the finish line. But God helped me with that. And God helped me with a vision for the finish line before he allowed me to come and start Radius Church. Because I had a buddy of mine said, you ought to go. Come on, I'll go with you. And if anybody says anything, I'll punch him in the nose. He was one of them barely saved kind of guys. Come on, how many of you remember Skip? Anybody remember Skip? It was Skip. And when Skip tells you to do something, you just do it. So me and my family... We went over to Maurice's church to preach one Sunday, and I was blown away. Because as we pulled into the parking lot, man, that little parking lot was jam-packed with cars. Every parking lot, every parking spot was taken. There was cars down the driveway, out on the road. We pulled in. They had a saved spot for me. We parked. I walked in. They, they brought me into the prayer room, and we prayed, and and. And the lady that was in there leading prayer was this huge prayer meeting. More people in the prayer room than are in this room right now. And the lady that was leading that prayer said, Ken, I've been leading prayer and teaching other churches around the nation how to have a pastor's prayer calendar because I did it for you all those years. They prayed. I walked out to go out and sit on the front row and get ready to preach. And when I walked out, the place was packed with people. I mean, there were more people standing than there were sitting. They were lined up down the hallway. And when I walked out there and Maurice told the story, he said, Ken doesn't know this, but when he hired me to come on staff over there, he didn't know it, but I was ready to end my ministry life. But he told me where I was. It wasn't where I had to stay. And God just knew what he was doing. And he introduced me, and it felt like the people applauded. Not that I'm living for the applause, but it, it validated the people applauded. I preached. I don't even remember what I preached. But afterwards, we stood around for it. It seemed like hours. And people would say things like this. You know, when the church closed, we went to such and such church. And, and there's hundreds of churches in the greater Detroit area. 
said, we did this biker ministry for you. We took it over to our church, and it's bigger and better than ever. And we did feed the multitudes with you, and you gave us an opportunity how to do that. And we fed hundreds, and we brought it over to this other church, and we're using it to feed the city. And they would, one after another, we used to do the bike giveaway with you, and we took it over to this church, and now we're doing it over there. And it looked like there were little sprinkles all over the greater city of Detroit of little things. See, God had a plan, and what it did for me, ladies and gentlemen, was it gave me a vision of the finish line. It helped me rid all that shame. It gave me the courage and the strength to dream again and to get up and have a vision of the finish line. And on this legacy weekend, I want you to get a vision, not just getting through another work week, not just work until Friday, not just getting to payday, but come on, dream of a legacy letter and live your life with a vision of the finish line. Come on and say a good amen. Our legacy letters. What legacy? Are you not waiting to leave, but you're living right now? Would you receive that, everybody? I'm going to stop right there, all right?